G'day, podcasting friends of the show. Just a quick pre-podcast pop-in, just to let you know how the clout drive is going. I don't want to say we've done it, but guys, I've got I've got news. We are, I looked at some analytics, uh, some data, we, the Ideas Digest community podcast, are ranked number 55 in the religion and spirituality category in, wait for it, Hungary. Guys, we've come a long way. Well done. Pat yourselves on the back. I think we can keep going. We we have clocked in 177 ratings. That's not bad. That's not bad. The I'll be, I'll be open and honest with you now. The goal is 250. We are very close. There's one podcast guest that has that has this this clout barrier that I'm trying to clear to see if we can swing him. Oh, it's a him. Gave it away. Uh, send me a message if you want to know who it is. So just to inspire you all, uh, let's let's go to these reviews now. Jeez, this is a bloody good one. I just read it to pump my own tires just to feel good about myself. This comes from Carrie and Stull uh, in the United States. Carrie says, so many of us have forgotten how to actively listen. Yeah, maybe. Without listening, there can be no healthy dialogue or debate. If you struggle with empathizing with those who believe, vote, think, live differently than you, please... Do yourself a favor and listen. Hey, it's not coming from me. It's coming from Carrie. If for nothing else to learn the skills from Conrad. Now, that's me. I didn't slip this in here, but I bloody should have. Uh, who may very well be the world's most patient podcast host. Wow. Um, I wish that translated to real life. Um, masterclass in listening. A humanizing light in our dehumanizing culture. Wow. Thanks for everyone listening to that massive tire pump from friend of the show Carrie in the United States. I feel better about myself. I don't know about you guys. Uh, if you want to continue, let's see, let's see how, how high we can get ranked in Hungary, everybody. Uh, you, most of you have already probably left a review. And so if you have, thank you. If you want to now steal your partner's phone, your friend's phone, somebody else's phone, jump on their podcasting app, subscribe to the podcast and just sneak a review on there. If you can, <laughs> you don't have to be as flattering as Carrie there. You can be honest if you like. We do have that one one-star rating that brings our ranking down to 4.9. I feel like it makes us more approachable and, and humanized. So that's okay. But it's time to get a bit um, tricky with how we get these reviews cranking. So thanks for all your help and support. And I'll leave you with this new episode. Enjoy. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Ida's Digest, the live podcast practice. Boy, it took some effort to get it live, but we're live today. Uh, this, this is the podcast practice where we put understanding before opinions. That's an interesting place to put understanding. I prefer to put my opinions first. Oh, might not be the show for you. Uh, this is the podcast, Ida's Digest, where we break down the ideas that divide us in order to find the humanity that I believe connects us. My name is Conrad. And if you're new to the show... Let me roll out the welcome mat for you. Welcome. And if you're a regular returning friend of the show, also come down the same welcome mat. You're, you're welcome here. Uh, as I've mentioned before, this podcast puts understanding before opinions. 
Um, and that practice might not be for everybody. Uh, this week on Instagram, it was an exciting one. I found an idea that a lot of the Ideas Digest friends of the show found grating. And there was a lot of opinions there. And someone shot through some of their opinions to me in the DMs. And there were some strong opinions. And I, and I said, after my prerequisite question, uh, have you listened to the episode yet? Have you listened to the full episode? And they, and they were honest. So to their credit, they're honest. And they said, no, I haven't. And I said, well, get back to me when you have. And, uh, you know, if you do listen to a full episode of something that really grates against you, you might disagree, might trigger you, but you made it through the whole thing. Let me know in the DMs and I will send you a highly coveted gold emoji. Uh, contrary to what you might think, they're actually very rare. You know, you might think they're just unlimited bits of code. Oh no, not these ones. These are limited. These are limited edition. I promise if you stick with the practice of listening to ideas you disagree with and learning to understand, uh, I think you'll actually learn to love it. it. It can be hard sometimes. So with that out of the way, let's hit you with some clickbait because I know that's what pulls people in. So here's the clickbait. Jesus was queer. What does that mean? Was Jesus gay? Uh, is that why he was single? That might explain a lot. I don't know, but the clickbait's got me. And to help me unpack this clickbait is new friend of the show. Well, let me introduce new friend of the show, Paul Anthony Turner. We fiddled about with technology a lot, so we kind of know each other quite it well. It was a struggle. Getting this podcast set up and happening. But I actually still don't know that much about you. So I did learn that you are in a place called Kentucky. Yes. A place, yes. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky, born and raised. And, and I have heard of Kentucky before, and obviously the stereotype is Kentucky Fried Chicken, but we'll get to some judgments later. <laughs> Obvi is, is KFC better where you are? This might be a silly Australian question. Listen, here's what I'll say. Um, I, actually, I actually have not eaten a piece of chicken since the last time I, it would have been in my mouth would have been 2008. I don't even remember what it tastes like, really. Um, but actually, from what I'm told, there are other chicken restaurants that are much better. Um, like people, there's like the there's like the fight between Popeyes and Chick Fil A. Um, I don't I don't really mess with Chick Fil I don't mess with either one of them because I don't eat meat. But I especially ain't messing with Chick Fil A because of their homophobia. I ain't got time for it. So, <laughs> but yeah, I don't think K I don't really think KFC ranks that high. <laughs> Okay, so uh, well, I wouldn't run into you then at a politically charged chicken establishment then. Let's say we're walking past Chick-fil-A just in the opposite direction and we bump into each other and I go, oh, oh, sorry, re yeah, really sorry to that. Oh, my name's Conrad. Um, introduce yourself to me, surface level kind of stuff. We just kind of run into each other. I'm like, oh, that's a cool looking necklace you got. Let and we get chatting. How would you introduce yourself outside this, um, as you mentioned, homophobic establishment? Yeah. Um, well, my name is Paul Anthony. I'm Paul Anthony Turner. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I was born here, raised here in the South, um, in the United States. Um, I'm studying philosophy, um, doing my PhD at the University of Kentucky. Um, did my studies in theology, my Master of Divinity of Andrews University, and um, I'm a pastor of sorts. I know people keep calling me that, so I guess I'll take it still. <laughs> Um, I have a passion for building close relationships with people and I'm a runner who has not run in a long time. I've been lifting weights. So I'm trying to try to get that body, you know, looking good. 
Um, it is summer. Yeah, I'm just a fun loving person. I love people. Yeah, it is summer. You gotta, you know, sun's out, guns out. <laughs> nice to meet you. Thanks for introducing yourself. I'm gonna be honest though. We, I've just met you. You've you've dropped a few. You know what you what you're up to for education. Where you're from. As an Australian, I've just I've just been judging you, Paul. I've just we've just met. I've got some judgments, but instead of holding my judgments and going on my way, I'm gonna be honest and confess them to you and you can correct me where I'm wrong. How does that sound? Love it. Love it, love so, it. So <laughs> see how you go. Advanced versions of this game, you've got to stick to a yes and no. You can opt for the easier version of the game where some people like to throw nuance in there and really expand. That's okay too, but the advanced version of the game is where you just pick a box and jump in it. You've only got two boxes, yes and no, okay? Mm. All right. So, all right, you're, you're from the South. I'm trying to think of some Southern, South, Southern American, some South of America stereotypes southern america <laughs> <laughs> you uh i'll just put it out there because it's the first one that comes to mind you're a trump voting gun touting chicken loving Ugh. redneck <laughs> ew no <laughs> absolutely not no <laughs> <laughs> okay hard note of that one okay okay so no. We got that off our chest. If we hear Kentucky, um, and we've have we have mandatorily discussed chicken, which is the stereotype that I would think of when it comes to America. And okay, you've you've dropped some um, you know, some master's degrees. You've you've clearly been to university maybe more than once. Uh, Paul, you've got to be like one of these over-educated, probably like brainwashed liberal types. Don't know what you're doing in the south. <laughs> Ooh, you know? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, n- no, no. That's no. like that. Okay. Yeah. No. A, <laughs> no. Almost, almost a hard no on the edge of the box. Just liberal, almost l- liberal, yes. Brainwashed, debatable. I would say no, though. I want to say no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, if, if the clickbait is Jesus was queer, you're trying to change Christianity into something, Paul, you're part of the gay agenda. <laughs> oh, you know, what's really funny about this game is I just actually took a class on, on this, uh, in, a class in symbolic logic where we're talking about how there can be true contradictions, how there can be, you know, if someone asks you a question the answer can be both yes and no or neither yes or no and so to all these questions i want to say yes and no but to this one i'll say i i'm gonna say yes to this one the gay agenda yes and i can't wait to clarify that later i'm gonna go ahead and say yes i am i have a i have a gay agenda and friends friends hopefully we get to talk friends of the show are gonna really appreciate you you sticking to the game. Sometimes when people come on the show and they're like, oh yeah, but this, 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 you know, I get some feedback. They go, listen, we love it when they stick to the rules. So they're gonna yeah. really respect you, really stick into the I'm gonna rules say here. yes to that. Um, okay. <laughs> so since you've said yes, this one's an easy one then. You think everyone who disagrees with you is a bigot? No, I don't. No. Overwhelmingly. Oh, that doesn't make Okay, so maybe breaking some ter- stereotypes of the gay agenda there. Uh, maybe, maybe this one. You must hate religious freedom and freedom of speech. And as an American, that's the worst thing you can possibly no. do. No. No. Does not hate religious freedom and does not hate freedom of speech. Okay. Um, 
And this is for American friends of the show. This Australians, we don't get this, but I'm putting it in there for you, American friends of the show, of which I have many. Uh, you, you've said you've, you're pretty educated, maybe brainwashed. You're a communist. You've been to university, you've been brainwashed by these liberals. <laughs> you've got to be a communist. Uh, ooh. Mm. <clears throat> no. But... No, 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 but a no, but no, no, okay. I can hear the cap. I can hear the capitalists knocking on my door downstairs. No, <laughs> no. okay. Yes. Uh, all right, then you, you have stuck to the boxes quite well, but you've got to be like a moral relativist. This kind of like, nah, there's no truth. You do you kind of person. Oh, okay. You're doing this to a philosopher and it's, uh Okay. Okay. Sticking to the this yes and no. Sticking to like the yes torture? and no. I, it is still going to torture because, like, the philosopher in me just wants to go. Well, but okay, I'm going to stick fine. to the game. Um. No, but actually, it'll be interesting that I I will clarify that I will qualify that later. So no, no I am not a moral relativist. Yeah. Mm, okay. Last one <laughs> is. You're, you're, you're in the pastoral space, you've just said. So you must be choosing to ignore God's clear instructions if you're talking about anything to do with acceptance of LGBTQ people. You've got you to be ignoring yeah. God's clear, clear instructions. Is And this I actually took from some feedback from friends of the show who sent this through on another episode. I, res- I mm-hmm. love hearing from your friends of the show, so this, this one might be from them. No. I, yeah, I don't believe that anything I'm doing is, a, is contrary to God's will for me or any of God's clear instructions. So otherwise I wouldn't okay. do it. What um, extra bonus round question where you can say more than yes and no. Uh, what oh, God. <laughs> assumptions do you get? Have I hit on any at all or have I come completely left field? What are some common oh. assumptions or judgments people make about you and what you do? Yeah. Um, so, okay. So as far as, I, I can't believe I didn't mention this as one of the things that describes me, but I'm gay. Um, <laughs> I think surprise. the clickbait, I, I feel like the clickbait. They knew. You, you didn't have to with the clickbait. So like, <laughs> come on. I probably should right. put that in the assumptions. If you're talking about anything to do with queerness, you must be gay. Okay. Gay pastor right here. Um, so, yeah, one of the assumptions that I get a lot is that there is this agenda and you know, for a person who believes that there can be yes and no, there can be contradictions, contradictory answers to, to answer to two questions. I want to answer yes and no. There is no, there is no gay agenda. There's no one, you know, this um, surreptitious thing that, um, that queer people are doing under this, uh, behind the scenes to try to destroy heteronormative society or or anything like that, or, or weaken society morally. Um, I've been accused of that. Um, the the nothing could be further from the truth i'm a good citizen i'm a christian and so forth um and then furthermore insofar as there is a gay agenda um the agenda is one at least for on my part um it has to do with bringing greater um acceptance of queer people in every realm of society including whether in government politics um in business or in uh, in the church for instance so I think that is, and that's a proper agenda. 
it's not something that's it's not something deviant. That's something that we ought to do because we're humans. <laughs> you know, mm. equality is a thing that all humans should have. So if that's the gay agenda, then I'm overwhelmingly in support of that. But Okay, there is no gay agenda, but if there is a gay agenda, it's this, and I'm in support of it. Yes. There both I, is a gay agenda and is not a gay agenda. <laughs> at the same time. I, I like at it. The same I feel time. like you've done, you've done very well to perfectly... Like, this is why we, we like to push people into these boxes so that to demonstrate as an object lesson, so it were, that judgments are often too binary and often they don't quite encapsulate the in-depth conversation that we're about to essentially go into on the back of dismissing some of these assumptions, confirming some of them. To the clickbait, Jesus was queer. Paul, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> this, it seems like, <laughs> to many friends of the show that might be listening, they go, this has got to be some kind of heresy, and we might unpack why it might be <laughs> considered such a high level of heresy to go that are you implying Jesus was gay? What do you mean by queer? Because that might be a term that, you know, not fully around. Where would you, where would you mm. want to start with this kind of clickbait? Oh, my goodness. And, you know, it's really interesting you should ask that question. Um, it wasn't until today that I saw when, when you sent me the graphic and I saw Jesus is queer. I was like, oh, okay, so that's the way we're going. Um, someone actually <laughs> texted me. In a, so, someone texted me in a message on, 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 on Instagram and said, Fire title, bro. Love that you came up with this. And I was like, I didn't come up with it, but I fully support it. <laughs> you you um, okay, did so explicitly that... say it in one of your videos. And I was watching I have. it and I was coming exactly. up with clickbait and I went, oh, <laughs> well, that's easy. <laughs> there it is. No, exactly. I, I totally support it. Um, there's, okay. So I think that there's a series of levels that we have to, in order to deconstruct what that means, to analyze what it means. We had to understand what this term queer even means um, and what it's correlated antithesis, straightness, um, what that has to do with. Um, queerness has received a lot of flack because people perceive that the term has to do with moral deviance. But originally the term queer just had, just signified, okay, here's the way that we have been told is the right way to do things, whether morally, religiously, politically, um, the way you cook something. Here is the straight, the direct, the best, the, the, um, the correct way of doing something. Um, and over time, society, you know, the various groups that we're a part of has told us, you know, these are the right ways of doing it. And if you want to get from point A to point B in the most expedient, the most expeditious way, um, you're going to want to follow this path. Now queerness comes in and says, okay, so there are all, there are all, there are all of these different straightening devices that we have been given from birth, whether it has to do with race or gender or sex or marital status or um, political affiliation, etc. Um, there are all kinds of um, straightening devices that we have been exposed to since we were children, and queerness comes around and says. And I'm not even talking about sexual queerness. We're not even talking about queerness qua or as, you know, pertaining to the LGBT plus community, sexual, you know, sexual queerness or gender queerness in, that, in those respects. We're just talking about queerness in general. So queerness comes in and says, okay, here are all these straightening devices we have been given. And they're promising us this good life, this best life. Um, and, but 
that doesn't seem to be getting us to the best life. Sure, we've been told that's the right way to do something, but it would seem as if, you know, maybe we took this slight detour and went this way and then curved back, then we could potentially get to a better place or maybe get to that same destination, but in a more profitable way. Because just, you know, going going the quickest, the quick, taking the the straightest line between two points isn't necessarily the best. Like for instance, if I took the line that is most direct from me to you, that would take me through the earth's core. I'd probably melt or whatever is there present in the middle of the core, you know, the core of the earth would probably destroy me. Um, a queer, uh, if you, to use this illustration, um, a queer perspective would say, you know, follow the circumference of the earth and you'll eventually get to Australia and, you know, you get to bypass potentially being burned up by the earth's core. So again, there are straightening devices we've been told. For instance, in America, we've been told that and I believe this has happened even in Australia with the Aborigines. I hope that's not an offensive term. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, but there is a certain correct race to be, namely white. Um, and so all other people of color groups would be queer with respect to the straightening, the straightening device of whiteness that has been promoted in our cultural context. Another example would be... Um, um, gender or sex, for instance, we're told that the right way of being is being very masculine. Um, and so women in, in the workplace are often encouraged not to display their femininity because their femininity is this, is seen as inherently weak or fragile or prone to emotionalism. Um, so maleness would be the straight way of, of thinking and comporting oneself. And, and, and femininity with respect to maleness would be a queer way of being with respect to gender, etc. Et so queerness in general is just saying, okay, I've been told here's point A and here's point B. The right or the correct way or the straight way of getting from point A to B is from here to here. But queerness says, okay, well, you know, there's a lot of toxic things or unhealthy practices that have come about because of this road that we have taken for so long. So maybe it's time for us to do something that's a little out of the ordinary um, to circumvent that, or to circumnavigate rather, um, um, that toxicity. So I think when we consider that's what queerness could mean and that's what straightness could mean, there should, you know, if you're a very conservative person, if you're a straight person, you should have no problem with, with that statement of Jesus being queer. Um, Jesus did all kinds of queer things that were outside the social norm going up and talking to women, for instance, the woman at the well, that was big no-no. <laughs> um, uh, Jesus associating with, with tax collectors or, um, or, or with prostitutes or with the rich or with, you know, et cetera, or those who had various, various ailments. I mean, Christ was incredibly queer. Um, God generally is a very queer being. Um, how many, how many, divine narratives do we know do we hear from other religions where you hear where you have the god coming and sacrificing himself to save humanity i mean it's a very queer notion a very it goes out of outside the norm of what um many religious stories have told us is the right you know how we should consider how the divine should operate um the the the, the, the story of christianity at its core is queer so i i think that it is it is the straightening of Christianity that has been the destruction of it. And so I think we need to get back to a, a queer Christ 
and get back to a queer Christianity in order to um, experience the revival in Christianity that we need to experience. Yeah, you've you've brought in a, I would say, redefinition of the word queer, but I think a lot of people might not necessarily even like know exactly how queer would generally be used except for a synonym for being gay. And you've, you've done some interesting things there. So as far as I'm understanding it, you, you're defining queer as an alternative to the norm, a deviance to what is generally the accepted path or, or way to go through. And, and in doing that, kind of saying queerness in this sense is a useful and almost necessary thing to do when the straightest path or the most commonly accepted path is not the best pathway there. So to therefore be queer in the definition you're talking about is to find alternative ways to do that. And then you now you've, you've brought in Jesus to go. Jesus was alternative to the political establishment, the religious establishment, um, the societal establishment. Ever, ever, he was kind of queer in that sense. Are you talking about a queerness even in morality because morality is one of those things where people they'll say there's kind of only one morality that people use the bible to then determine what morality is that's and then different readings of the bible get people to uh, be opposed to gay marriage or transgender people um because the bible their reading of the bible says that um are you saying that there's an a queer morality so there's not just kind of one morality we need to or is the current straight morality an immoral reality and the queer morality in this sense where we need to deviate from the commonly accepted one unpack unpack those ideas as i try and piece them together oh goodness you just you just threw oh you just threw me such a big lob oh <laughs> I'm, so okay there's there's a lot of ways to to go about answering that i will I'll, I'll try to answer that in a way that um, I've been I've been studying. One of my favorite philosophers is Immanuel Kant, and I really appreciate Kant's, without getting too technical, his ability to hold on to the to the fact that there is absolute moral truth, but our ability to understand or grasp a hold of that truth is going to be limited. And because part of our moral journey as Christians and you know, even as, as, as humans is, is it's, it's not even so much about getting to the right answer as much, be, as much as being engaged in a process of deliberating about how to, how to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ, how to, be, um, to, to become a, a more moral person. I, I, so, you know, okay, so earlier, maybe to go, to go back and clarify what I'm saying, earlier you asked the question, um, yes or no, are you a moral relativist? So I said no, but then there's another sense in which I want to say yes. And it's not in the sense of that there is no moral truth, especially as a Christian, I don't know how anyone could ever say that. I mean, Christ is the truth and <laughs> he is morality itself. I don't know how anyone could get around that. Um, he is He is the word of God. He is the logos of God. He is the the, the, the thought, the will of God manifest. I don't know how anyone could ever get around um, there as a Christian, there being moral objective truth. The problem is when Christians or anyone believes that you can get to the truth, 
to moral truths perfectly and without any mediation of the the limitation of your fact of your of your of your moral faculties. In other words, we're we are we're by 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 our very nature by our very nature we are limited. Um, we are not able to perfectly comprehend everything about the universe. We're always looking at things through our perceptions, how we feel, um, um, just whatever it might be. So there's a sense in which, you know, is there moral truth, absolute moral truth? Of course, especially as a Christian. I mean, if you accept the word of God, if you accept Christ as your savior, you're assenting to a moral truth, namely him. (laughs) He is the moral truth. Um, And, but we need to temper that with the fact that our ability to tap into perfectly knowing that truth is going to be limited. And that's why faith is so necessary when it comes to conversations about morality. Um, it's not, it's not so much, I, I feel like often this is the, one of the reasons I have a problem with creedal Christianity, even though I, I know a lot of people have great respect to, respect for it. Um, in, in a certain sense, I have respect for it, but it, on my part, creedal Christianity of a certain sort takes away our ability to be wrong. I think that as Christians, we need to, I think the word of God and per the nature of faith, we're supposed to be able to be wrong and we're supposed to accept that. But often when we come to these conversations talking about um, queerness, gay marriage, transgender, um, um, femininity, et cetera, we have already very, you know, whether you're in a very liberal camp or whether you're in a very conservative camp, we come to these conversations believing that I, we have perfectly understood what the absolute reality is on any particular set of matters. So there's no way for us to actually to learn from each other. If you come into a conversation believing that you already know what's right, what's wrong with some, or on a particular particular matter, how can you actually grow? One thing that I really appreciate about Kant is that he brings out that all of us as humans have the same reasoning faculties, all of us. Um, and no one is, no one's reasoning faculties inherently are any better than another. You know, just because just you're a man, your, your reasoning faculties are not better than that of a woman. Just because you're straight, your reasoning faculties are not better than that of a queer person. Um, just because you're a cisgender person, it does not mean that your reasoning faculties are better than that of a, of a transgender person. We, we assume those things. We assume you're deviant, you're different, and therefore your reasoning faculties are going to be off. So when, when it comes to interpreting the scriptures on any point of morality, I've already assumed I am your moral and intellectual equal. But if you come that way, I believe that you actually commit a certain kind of blasphemy because you're no longer teachable. I think the only one who cannot be taught is God. Um, so we need to respect that we all have the same faculties to learn and to reason through things. Um, but just because we have those faculties, it doesn't guarantee that we're going to get to the absolute truth of things, but rather it's an ongoing journey where we're slowly approximating closer to the truth, hopefully. And this takes reflection and humility. You, you seem to be unpacking what is the divide between both liberals and progressives Christians, atheists, conservative Christians, liberal Christians. It seems to be like I threw that assumption in there because that's often what, uh, let's say, religious, like maybe conservative Christians might throw at more liberal Christians, but say, or or um, non Christians, 
because from a Christian's perspective, they go, we have the Bible, we have access to absolute truth. If you reject that book, then how do you know? And then all you've got left is moral relativism. But I feel like you've, you've walked that tightrope that I think you've laid out going, you're saying you agree that there's some level of objective truth out there and you've gone represented in the in the man of jesus and the christ as you're kind of talking about that uh and you say okay well if that's objective truth that's that's you know morality is a set thing there is such a thing as total morality but then you're also saying but we as humans have different perspectives different upbringings different life experiences and we all find it we can't be arrogant enough to believe that we can interpret it. So on some level, you espouse to this theoretical idea and it seems like it operates in the theoretical realm, which maybe you're equating to faith there. Faith is believing in this theoretical realm of objective truth and objective morality that's out there somewhere. But on a practical level, you might, you're sounding like a practical moral relativist that then says, well, we need to work this out. I'm not necessarily sure I'm working it out. I think you're reading that, that kind of wrong. And it seems like you, you kind of have a, have a foot in both camps. Does that sound like a fair summation of what you're saying? Yeah. And in a certain way, I would say, yeah. Um, it's in, in this, this is, we have, unfortunately, I believe Christians have turned Christianity into a thing where faith becomes unnecessary. We no longer actually have to exercise faith um, because I can know absolutely this thing. So I no longer need to operate under faith in any way. I, I know this thing perfectly for what it is, but yet the scriptures say without faith, it is impossible to please God. So the moment that you let go of faith, you have let go of, you've let go of Christ and you can no longer, you're no longer in good standing with God. Um, so it's to say there is absolute truth, but the ways in which we can know truth and the, the extent to which we can claim that we have perfectly grasped a hold of truth is going to be limited. And this is why it is so necessary. Um, and this is, what, this is one reason I, I really enjoy postmodernism. I think postmodernism in a lot of ways is a return to biblical Christianity, um, where faith becomes the center again. Postmodernism is a return to Christianity. I'll say that for anyone out there who doesn't believe me. <laughs> yeah, that. Anyways, right. um, I, I, I honestly believe that where we need to put faith back in the center, we need to do away, in a certain sense, we need to do away with creedalism that that creedalism as in like certainty. This is the set and the literal doctrinal belief that you must accept. Whereas you're saying, do away with that. Yes. I'm, yes. And yes, I want to be very careful in saying that. Yes, it's yes. I would say it with those qualifications. <laughs> um, we, in other words, we need to we need to recognize Christianity is not a proposition. It's about a relationship with a person. But the way that creedal creedal Christianity, or you know, and creedal Christianity, I'm not even talking about the Nicene Creed. The, you know, all these different creeds. I'm not even necessarily just limiting to, limiting it to that. Creedalism exists in a host of forms where this is the statement, this is, this is how far you are allowed to go before we're no longer going to call you Christian. You can no longer be a part of us. 
and we're not even going to allow you to go on a journey with us any longer. You're too far. You're too far gone. It's the Christianity is no longer about a relationship between people relating with God. It's about a community trying to cause other people to relate with propositions of truth. And I think that that destroys faith. And I think it destroys the beauty of what Christ was actually trying to do. Now, this is not to say, again, that coming to those propositions of truth is unimportant, but it's to say it is not the thing. And I think that we have made mm. it the thing. Because it, here, hearing you talk about that, especially within the lens of religion and Christianity, the background you're coming from, creedalism as this, as this certain certainty and defined set of when you say propositions it sounds like it's like you need to accept this picture of the universe you need to accept that this is the way reality is and we and i can't help but draw parallels to obviously politics ideology of any sort you need to accept that this is the political picture you need to accept that either racism does or does not exist in America. You need to accept that this is the best solution for this. And that's kind of how politics might have some form of this creedalism that I'm, I'm hearing you, you talk about. Yes. I want to, absolutely. I want to take, I want to take a hard left here because back to your definition of queerness, you, I, I think I've seen what you, you've done. You've gone, okay, well, what is queer? And a lot of people pushing through in the chat saying, I think he's talking about quite an older definition of queerness before it became a, you know, a synonym for being gay. Um, and what you've done is by going back to that definition of going deviation from the norm, it actually can be more helpful to actually, if the norm's doing one thing, you know, these are the stories of, of morality, you know, everyone's doing this one thing and the one person stands up for the, what they know to be true and goes against what society is doing, what the government is doing or oppressive governments or whatever it is. And people would applaud that version of queerness. But what I think you've done that people may have subtly picked up on is going, You've left the subject of sexual queerness as just a category beneath the subheading of queerness. Queerness in politics, queerness in morality, queerness in um, just general societal practices, what's norm in, in heteronormative, what's, um, you know, whatever society's saying is the norm, queerness is anything deviates from that. And you've left in that subcategory sexuality. And I think... That's the everyone's cool with everything else, but that's the one yes. where no, we're not going to let you just stop there and and, and let, let it sit to the side unquestioned, right? Because we do need to come back to that. <laughs> Monkey abroad in the in the chat puts through. I'll put. I'll give you two questions to answer. He says, "Do you identify as queer? You've said you're gay. Do you identify as queer? And yes, do you think Jesus was gay?" And would that be a problem if you said yes? That is an interesting question. Um, I don't have any reason to think that he was gay or queer. I, I don't dude. know. It, it's such a, it's such a. If you've been a single male around the, the if you've been <laughs> a single male for, for long enough and you haven't had a girlfriend, your your bro friends might go, mate, are you gay? It so, could be. Uh, maybe. I don't know. It's it's a it's a. It's a highly speculative question. If he were gay, it wouldn't bother me. Okay. I, I, I almost, I almost struggle to understand the significance. I mean, respectfully, I, I don't understand the significance of yes, the question. Yes, no, unpack that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely yeah. unpack because, like, what you're... Well, well furthermore... That, that's actually, kind of what I established in the thing when it's just a subcategory. Yeah. 
you would just go, well, yes, it's not a thing. It's one of these many subcategories. Right. I think one of the things that we have to recognize is historically the terms queer and the things that they and straight and the things to which they refer, um, the the categories to which they refer are are extremely recent conventions. I mean, we're talking 1800s here in the West. Many cultures around the world still do not operate according to those um, to those categories. And we, we need to recognize the power, the power of categories. The moment that you introduce a category, everything becomes reconstituted according to those categories. So can we say let, um, that anyone before those terms was queer, gay, or straight? No, they weren't. And so when you, you have a lot of people who look back, you have straight people who look back and say, oh, this person was straight, or queer people who look back and say, David and Jonathan were gay. Firstly, they weren't. No one, they, the, these categories are not merely, I think we think of categories as kind of um, passive but in reality, categories have a lot of power. They have the power to restructure things. They have the power to recla- to um, to group. Um, they take on a power that actually, in a lot of ways, goes beyond what we even intend them to do. Um, so no, I can't say that anyone um, before the terms were invented was gay hmm. or straight. And I think to do that is an incredibly is a very Western thing actually, and it's a very um, anacro elitist. I don't know if I, I'm just a, 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 yeah, that's know, a big a one. Elitist kind of a, 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 Break a, that one like, for me. like we're we're making our we're we we're making our time period, our ways, our cultural milieu, this kind of standard by which or criteria by which we judge times past or cultures mm-hmm. in other places, and we make them have to conform to something that was not even a part of their culture. Uh-huh. And so to look back at them and say that these people were straight or these people were queer is uh-huh. kind of like, they didn't even think of themselves that way. They did not operate according to those, those categories. And so to say that they, they had a similar kind of um, cultural experience as us would just be patently false. I Yeah, you brought in a lot for people to sit with and digest on kind of pull like pulling apart the lens through which we look at things by you're kind of pointing to the how we're doing the looking whereas normally we we argue over what we're seeing whereas it sounds like you're pointing at the the glasses that we're using and we're now kind of talking about that because you've Mm -hmm. pulled out it sounds like you've pulled out the Something that I think no one thinks about, but when you bring it up, I'm going, oh yeah, we do do that. If I live in 2020, I will look back on the 1980s and go, those guys, <laughs> they don't know anything. <laughs> They're so old. Like that's that's right. a period of time. Or we look back, you know, to the ancient ancient world, and in many ways, because we have advanced in so many ways, that becomes mm-hmm. the lens through which we interpret everything. Going. Well, the way we see the world now is in every sense better, more objective, more helpful. So then we kind of transpose that onto the past. And it's interesting that you talk about categories as this, it sounds like this uh, way of shifting categories are a lens through which we see. If we have a category that changes what we see because it changes the lens there. It's quite a, it's quite like Mm -hmm. a, maybe people might find it like a bit of a mind bend to go. You're kind of holding up the mirror. And when we're not so much talking about was Jesus gay, 
we're talking about what makes us ask that question and what there makes us is. think that question yes. is significant. Uh, there it we're is. definitely in the philosophical there realms there. So I just digest. <laughs> Let's just buckle in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Categories are incredibly powerful because we generate them, but then they act on us. And it becomes this kind of yin yang thing where it just, it never stops unless we become um, like, like is discussed in um, another philosophical di discipline that I really love phenomenology, unless we become reflective upon the ways in which, and I'm going to really, I'm going to give a very layman's way of speaking about phenomenology. So if you're into philosophy, don't come at me for this, but um, we need to become reflective on the ways that we have intended the things that we have that we have been focusing on. So if you go toward a study of history with a 20th or a 21st century, whatever, 21st century um, way of looking at sexuality, if you take that lens and look back at first century Palestine, well, you're already intending first century Palestine to be shaped according to the lens that you're looking at it through. So of course you're going to see first century Palestine relationships or whatever through that lens. Um, newsflash, people didn't even think about themselves as having a sexuality until the 1800s or thereabouts. Um, so what we need to do, according to phenomenology, is become reflective on those intentional states of consciousness that we have. We can say, whoa, okay, how am I thinking about, or how am I perceiving, how am I intending um, um, how people think about, their, thought about their relational selves in first century Palestine, whatever. Um, and when you become reflective on it, you're like, oh, wow, um, I'm thinking through a very hypersexualized, very 21st century American or Western, whatever conception that they, they didn't operate according to. And then you can, you can bracket that off and be able to look at that thing a little bit more objectively. But again, because we're never going to be able to get to the thing perfectly for itself, we're approximating toward the truth of the matter. So again, there is the absolute truth. There is the water bottle. My mom hates when I use this illustration. I hope she's watching right now, but I have this water bottle here just because I knew I was going to use this illustration. So I have this bottle in front of me. It's right here. But, and, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's tempting to look at the bottle and believe that everything that can be said to be most true or fundamental about it is what I can see right off the bat. So, you know, if I were to take this, you know, if I were to try to give the essences of this thing or define what this thing is purely, you know, According to how I'm looking at it right now, I'm going to say, well, the things that can be said to be most essential to this, <clears throat> this object are this sticker, um, this cap, um, this profile of it, um, et cetera. But what about the fact that I can turn the bottle around and see something completely different? Oh, wait, look, there's, this, there's these words written in Navajo, or there's this beautiful scene of some mesas with some clouds and so forth. And what about the weight of the bottle because there's water in it? Etc. So we need, to, but the only way that you get to recognize those features and things is if you're willing to be reflective and recognize how you have gone into things with a bias. Again, there is an absolute truth. There, there is the bottle, but your ability to know what it is absolutely is going to be very limited. And you can spend a lifetime looking at it from different angles and looking at it from different perspectives and never get to the absolute thing on it. And that's why we need people of various perspectives, even if you disagree with them, um, to be a part of the conversation. Because in, you might disagree with someone radically, but I promise you, you can learn something from anybody. I, I, I absolutely believe from anybody.
um, because there is a certain way in which reality is constituted by the very fact that they're looking at the world. If we didn't have them looking at the world, we would be lacking the potential knowledge that comes from them looking at the world. And that can be applied to queerness, straightness, sexuality, points of sexuality of all sorts. Um, hmm. Yeah. Some people, some friends of the show might be listening and going, yep, see, I bloody knew it. An overeducated elite, right? And, and, and people, <laughs> people might call what you're talking about as like, I think I've heard it referenced as like navel gazing. It's like you, you're caught up in the theory of it all. And I think this is the dividing line that I think conservative political views, conservative religious views. I feel like this is a common dividing line that I'm coming up as I'm talking to various different people. You're coming to this and saying, well, first I've got to look at the context I'm coming from. The structures society has handed me. The concept society has handed me. Now you're saying the categories society has handed me and that I operate within. And then I can go out and have a look at these things. And then I've spoken to other people on the show and I say, you know, what's the lens through which we see? And it seems like a lost question. They go, there is no lens. It's clear. It's written in the Bible. Mm -hmm. It's right there. You, you're just wasting time. It's just, you know, comp overcomplicating the simple. And I feel like that's where this dividing line really lies. Did mm -hmm. you ever occupy that worldview that I was talking about where it seems it doesn't concern itself with the lens through which we see? What's it, what's it been like for your journey to this point where you're going, my ability to break down society around me in the way in which I see has allowed me to build a construct where m my sexuality is, is not only uh, okay, but it's actually like an accepted, helpful part of society and it can expose a perspective that people can't see. So I'm actually really valued in this space. Where, were you always here? What was it like for you <laughs> growing up? <laughs> gay yeah. christian and perhaps before being introduced to these concepts at these liberal yeah. universities and things <laughs> the liberal universities are destroying our children's minds <laughs> yes that's what i hear <clears throat> it's ridiculous um here's here's a th okay so when i was growing up i was blessed the household that i was raised in my mom was my mom was not very liberal my mom was not very conservative. My mom, I, I really appreciate my mom. My mom, now people would say she's in, she's very liberal. I mean, people would say we're both very liberal, whatever. I don't, I don't, we're not very much concerned. What I was always impressed with about my mom is that my mom never really tried to, my mom never ever forced me to be um, conservative or liberal. She never pushed, you know, don't do this or do do that. Um, even though, you know, she obviously had rules and things like that. Um, but it was a very free space. And I think that being raised in that environment gave me, was set me up for now being able to think in these kinds of ways where it's, it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to not be so definitive on everything. You don't have to put yourself into a camp. Sure, people are going to put you into a camp. Um, but what is I, you your don't have religious background? And like, oh, is it I'm like a, more of a conservative yeah. one? Is it common to have a, a mother within that, is that area that's like, yeah, you know, it's not definitive. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a Christian who's Seventh-day Adventist. Um, that was the tradition I was raised in. Um, 
and my my mom was a single mom. She so she raised me, my my little sister and I, and she did a fa- fantastic job. Um, and the but there there was just a lot of there's just a lot of freedom. There was not a you know in a lot of in a lot of Adventist circles, unfortunately, there more on the conservative side of things. Um, there is a lot more legalism on that side of things. A lot more of a focus on works. Um, not as much grace. Not as much room for intellectual um, discovery or, or 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 searching out one's faith or questioning things. That's not to say there aren't conservatives who do those things. Not saying that at all. And there are. To be clear, there are conservatives in the Adventist Church and in all walks of life who do those that kind of introspection. But in a lot of contexts um, that I, you know, a lot of my friends were not given that same kind of grace that I was. Now, um, as it pertains to the LGBT plus community, when it wasn't until I went to college that I started to recognize, and I guess looking back, that I had a lot of prejudice toward queer people because I had been in the closet all you know all my life and i thought it was i didn't really know what i thought was going to happen i just thought okay i'm just i'm gay this is kind of like what it's what it is i just you know whatever i I didn't really know what i was going to do about it i didn't i didn't think about it so you knew you would i guess queer to the norm growing up oh yeah i was very aware of it from uh, i probably five or six they're about five six seven thereabouts i was very i was very aware of how i felt toward other men it was like other guys it was very clear um, and there was no trauma, there was no nothing. So for that myth, let's just throw that out of the window. <laughs> I'm just gay because I am. Whatever caused it doesn't matter. I am where I am. Um, that's another point. Stop trying to figure out why people, gay people are gay or, you know, trans people are trans. We are what we are. Stop trying to figure it out. <laughs> Where You don't see us scrutinize why, scrutinizing why you're straight. So just chill. But anyway, that's another matter. Um, so, but as I went into college, I recognized, it, I, I started to really develop a lot of negative thoughts toward queer people because I just, I, <clears throat> because of the ways, because of the church environment I was raised in, the church culture I was raised in, queer people were reprobate. They were deviant in a moral way, in a bad way. Um, mm. They were just bad and flawed and they need to overcome being gay. They need to choose the gender, you know, they need to choose to be the biological to conform with the, the biological gender that they, that they present. Um, I don't know what you do with intersex people, but okay. <laughs> um, but um, I recognized I had, I had all this, I had all of this, um, this prejudice. And it wasn't until I went through an existential crisis of faith in the summer of 2016 and there were other things that led up to this um, the year before when I actually came out to someone for the first time at like the age of 21 or 22. It's crazy. Um, but it wasn't is until that, I went through Are you saying that's light? Are you saying it just like you should have, it, it would have been. It, I mean, or... you know, it's never too late. Whenever a queer person, whenever a person decides to come out is the right time for them. Um, but I guess it was late in the sense of it should not be the case that Christians are so uninviting and so unsafe or unsafe at all to the point where queer people should have to wait 22 years. It should be a fact, you know, whenever they feel comfortable sharing is, you know, whenever we feel like sharing or coming out should be the time that we're allowed. I feel like I had to hide it. So I hit, I, I hit it for 20 something years. Um, and so that's, that's what I mean when it's like, you know, there's no set time when a queer person needs to share it because it's, of no, it's no one's business. Yeah. 
like your your specifically your religious environment was not safe or potentially societal oh, yeah. environment or both? Both. Both. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just not especially, you know, since I was studying theology, it was you're right. You're a pastor in most people's eyes. You know, Pastor Paul, this Pastor. You, you know, so you're 21, there's a certain way that we do studying th- like theology and yeah. going, oh, I'm gay, but I haven't told anyone. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess one question. Sorry to pull you off track. Um, <laughs> why be a, like? There's this religion that you're saying isn't safe for for even you to tell people. You know what? Like, I'm gay. Uh, mm. Why be a pastor? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Ask him. <laughs> Ask him. I, I, I literally, okay. I literally fought it. Cause I didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want, I mean, I didn't not want to be a pastor, but it wasn't a thing that I wanted to go into. I'd heard growing up all my life. Oh, you're going to be a pastor. The Lord's called you to do this. My mom gave me the wisdom, you know, Paul, just because you like to read your Bible and because you like to share the, you know, because, because you like to share your faith doesn't mean you have to be a pastor. God needs good. God needs good lay people too. And I was like, Thank you, mother, for for that wisdom. <laughs> mm. um, and so I never really saw myself as going to be a pastor. But I, in around October of 2013, if I remember correctly, is where I sensed the calling um, to go into pastoral ministry. And so that's why I went into that. Why God called me to it, I don't know. Maybe it's for stuff like this. I, I have no idea. But for whatever podcast, reason, I sensed a very exactly strong call. For this part, this very moment. This exact one. <laughs> If you feel the urge to quit <laughs> after this, uh, I'll understand. Right. But, you know, considering how queer, maybe just to be cute a little bit, but like um, considering how queer Christ was and how he is the chief pastor, as the scriptures say, he's the chief pastor of the church. You know, I can't expect anything better for myself than what he received. And he received all kind of flack as a chief shepherd of our faith. So I don't know. I kind of just take it with, you know, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It really is hard. Um, but that's, that's the calling of a Christian. It sucks. I'll, I'll just say it straight up. I, I received a lot of, um, this previous year, um, I was supposed to be hired by, um, hired within my denomination to be a pastor, but because I'm gay, um, they, without getting into the details, um, they did not follow through with their word on the matter and they shucked and jived around it. And th- this handled it in a very ungodly way. Um, returned here to my church of, of 10 years or however long it's been and received persecution there. And it led to me and my family removing our membership from the, from the local congregation persecution because of the persecution as in because like, I'm gay, like people kind of excluding you from participating or absolutely. Like, yeah, well, I guess, I guess as, as a straight white guy, what is persecution? <laughs> <laughs> Let me a gay black man tell you. Uh, (laughs) um it looks like you know okay um being straight splained by your by your by the pastor of the church um secret meetings about you and your family going on um Uh, not being given a chance to actually defend yourself myself i was not given a chance to defend myself um um i was blocked from being able to serve in ministry in the church even though for years um, I was one of the only young people in the church um, who was actually involved in doing ministry in my local congregation. And, mm. you know, so it was, it, it was Legally, just a very, that it was a very terrible time. as discrimination. Yeah, it probably, just, I, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, that that's what I had to deal with. And during that time, it was further, it was a further proving ground for me um, 
and a lot of the things that I saw the pastor of, my, of the church I used to belong to and the other leadership do were things that looking back, I recognize that I either did in some form or another or would have done before 2016 or 2016 when I went through that crisis of faith um, where I had to really wrestle with the fact, you know, I'm gay, I'm a Christian, I'm going to be a pastor. These things have to mix some way. The gay thing's not going away. The Christian thing's not going away. The pastor thing's not going away. Whoa. So, you know, and through that, I finally, I, I really started to come out of my, not only my homophobia, my queer phobia, but out of a very black and white way of thinking um, where, I, and especially when it comes to people on their journeys with Christ, I used to think that, you know, if you don't agree with me on where I am, then it means it indicates that you are not um, submitted to the Lordship of Christ. You're not trying to be a biblical Christian. You're not trying to be holy or whatever it might be. Um, I was very judgmental, even though I don't feel like I was raised in that kind of environment in my home. Um, Cause I felt like there was a certain, when it came to spiritual matters, there was a great measure of freedom there in, in my opinion. Um, and so it's interesting that I didn't reflect that to other people. And I, um, <laughs> I can, I can recall several stories and several instances where I was just not very gracious to other queer people. And it was once I, once God took me through that crisis of faith and humbled me and really like shook me and said, Paul, you're gay, get it together. <laughs> um, that's where, that's where, um, I started to I come out of my shell and accept myself for who I am accept other people for who they are. Um, and all of that sent, put me on a trajectory to where I am now. Um, mm. I'm much more given to um, seeing the nuances in things, even if I have a perspective on something, being able to say, oh, I can see why you believe that. And I believe, I, I'm, I guess I'm willing to believe people, or at least I practice being willing to believe people before I jump to, believing you're just wrong on this. I might actually come to a belief that you're wrong on it, but I'm at least going to believe that you're not trying to be deviant. I can believe and trust that you're trying to be submitted to Christ. You're doing the best that you can with your, with your rational faculties as much as I am. Um, you know, in this game called life, we're all just doing our best. That sounds like the, the definition of grace is you're saying, if someone's doing something that you don't understand or you don't agree with, you're saying my first assumption is going to be, I don't think you're doing it deliberately. What am I missing? Let me, rather than going, clearly you're wrong because you don't, you don't agree with me. Is, is that mm -hmm. kind of, I guess, coming to, because what I'm hearing through this whole conversation is this loosening of the individual and your personal self-view that you can loosen the fact that yeah you don't necessarily know everything and if you if i don't know everything then everybody else doesn't know everything and we're all just trying to work out this thing and then that seems to have allowed you a bit of grace was that the idea that changed when before you said you weren't very gracious to other gay people what was like the theology you had at the time to be non-gracious did you have because we had friend of the show mm. anthony last week who <clears throat> shares his, his story going through just decades of trauma through different conversion um practices and mm. you're i guess quite a bit younger 
And I suppose what was, what did the church theology, I suppose that you believed up until this point where you started to have to rejig these pieces that weren't fitting? I would say it wasn't even, maybe it's theological, I guess it's more philosophical than it is theological, but I I, I guess it's theological in a sense. Um, I guess I, as a Christian, the, the, the theological shift that I had to go through is recognize that Christianity being in relationship with Christ, following the way, whatever you want to call it, is not about an endpoint. It's about the trajectory. Um, I think that the way I used to think theologically was was very much that, that kind of creedal kind of way that I was talking about earlier, that very propositional um, Christianity at its best is when we can definitively state certain points of truth um, not that those points of truth are not important, hear that. Those points of truth are important. Um, but I had become so focused and fixated on that that I thought that that was Christianity and not the journey. I think Christianity is best summed up as a, as a, as a journey, um, a journey with community, um, the community in, including yourself, other people, and God. Um the shift, the theological shift that I went through is recognizing we're all on the journey. You're on the journey, Paul. I, I think maybe that, as I think about it, maybe that's, a, maybe that's a shift that happened the most is recognizing I'm on a journey. Like I don't have all the answers. Or even if I think I am right about something, the way that I can say that I think I'm right about something is still going to be limited. It's going to need tempering. It's going to need qualification. But yeah, I hadn't received that for myself. And so if I can't even receive it for myself, how am I going to grant that to somebody else? <laughs> um so yeah that's, that's that's some interesting processing happening in real time y'all <laughs> i had to accept that even i'm on a journey i was on a journey and even if i did believe certain things about god about the world um the way that i could say that i was sure about those things needed to be qualified and re uh, restated and then i need to also provide that grace to other people this this might be a reductionistic assumption uh, because a, a lot of people might assume then, but obviously as, as I speak to other friends of the show who might be part of the LGBT community, wh- what often happens is this, the general assumption is, okay, was your sexuality a catalyst for this? journey because i i suppose the, the reason why that's the stereotypical assumption is that we have a society where sexuality goes largely unquestioned if you hit if, if you're a part of the norm like me i don't have to question it i grow up it's normal you know, i see it modeled around me i don't think about it because it's very normal someone who is who deviates from that norm suddenly they go hang on that you're aware of something you know you go to a different country Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm in America, I'm aware of my accent, me going around every day. I'm not aware of it. So in that sense, because sexuality has been brought to the forefront by the environment you're in, your religious uh, environment, maybe your community environment, that's the problem that, that keeps on being addressed or come up. People talking about you. I, I'm assuming they were talking about your sexuality or is, is, was that the piece of the puzzle that, 
really like you had to try and fit in and that's what i guess made you reassess the whole picture you were theologically or religiously building that's a really good question um give me a second to think about that actually make sure because because i could the the reason i say it's reductionistic is because (laughs) that's what everyone go well that's the obvious thing just because it's different but you're also a human and a very complex human and there could be many other factors involved as well right I would say that my, I would definitely say my sexuality was what, what catalyzed me coming to where I am, like ap- unequivocally, like definitely, or maybe equivocally, I don't remember. Um, definitely, that is what has brought me to this point because I had to start thinking very differently about this matter. And if I'm thinking differently about this matter, hmm, how many other things does this actually apply to? Uh-huh. All of it? Wow. <laughs> no, I, I would yeah. absolutely, it's not reduction. In my case, in my case, it would not be re- reductionistic to say it because it's, it's absolutely true. I can't speak for every queer person or every person, you know, et cetera. I can definitely say for me, it was this matter of reconciling my sexuality with my faith that led me to this way I think about interpreting life in general. Um, that's, what, that's the thing that and I love to study. when you say reconciling, are you talking about essentially going, I am not broken. I am not wrong. I am okay. Yes. Is that what you're talking about? Reconciling? Yes. God does it not is. want me to be any different sexually. Yes. Yes. Okay. And yeah. it, it took me, it took me a long time to come to that point because I remember um, during undergrad, there was a mentor or two, at least one mentor, maybe two, I'm trying to remember who it was. Anyway, it doesn't matter who it was. Um, and again, and, and, and her best, their best efforts were, and they were trying to look out after me. They were trying to, in their mind, again, according to their reasoning, same, same rational, same reasoning faculties as me. Mm. Um, they were trying to help me to become better, to become whole. Um, but in reality, she didn't recognize um, because of the things that were a part of her worldview, um, she didn't realize the lens that she was wearing when she was approaching me as a queer person. And I took hook, line, and sinker, the things that I was being told, you know, thinking, oh, this is Bible. Um, but um, it, and a lot of those things were incredibly reductive of the queer experience, experience, very hypersexualized, very, um, hyper, very, um, demonizing views of, of queerness, et cetera. And I, I believed those things for a time and it wasn't until certain shifts happened, really started with the summer of 2017, really hit with the summer of 2018 that really just like kind of took off like, Oh, like really, it really took off then um, that where I started to really think my queerness and it's like, Oh, like, okay. So where I, the, the progress I had made up into this point was good, but there was still more that I needed to, I needed to undo. Um, and so yes, I had, I had a lot to, I had a lot to unpack from what I had been told growing up and especially what I had been told um, in college. <laughs> and, and told specifically, especially, what you're talking about studying what the Bible says and what, what the picture of God has been painted for you by other theologians and pastors. And that seems to be what you're working through and unpacking. 
Yeah. I think what I love about this clickbait is because it's so, <laughs> it's so, man, it makes you think. And that, and that's, that's what I really like. I, I like doing this podcast as a mirror. This is if people listen to the show long enough, it's it, sure you, you can listen to someone you disagree with, but isn't it interesting to notice my responses, you know, the listener to that person you disagree with. Why do they pick? Why can't I even finish this podcast? Why can't? And that's, that's the interesting questions. And with this clickbait, Jesus was queer. If that's tr- the mirror is, if that's triggering you, you're, you're pointing if, as the listener, if this is triggering a friend of the show, you're kind of saying yes, because it's pointing to the, it's holding up the mirror saying, because you have a hypersexualized mm-hmm. view of queerness and the LGBT community. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. it's it's an it's a really like as soon as you judge it, you indict yourself for having a perspective that we <laughs> spent a lot of the time talking about, which is why I find it, it it's 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 better than I even thought. Um <laughs> you're impressing yourself. <laughs> I'm impressing myself. Uh well it's actually yours. I've stolen <laughs> your clickbait and I'm impressed. Um because <laughs> Our, our whole conversation previous and, and you talking about your journey to this point, you, you're talking about a framework. Well, okay. People go, oh, man, this guy's been to university. What are you talking about with these lenses, hypersexualization? And you've painted, if people ask, what does it look like? Cause if someone's, if you say, hi, I'm gay, we go, ah, you like dudes have sex with dudes. It's all like, that's the immediate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. things people think about and you've yes. done something that i haven't had one-on-one conversations with people as you're doing it you seem to be building a picture of what it looks like to have a non-sexualized view of queerness of being yes. gay it's and you've also highlighted at least for me maybe friends of the show listening a pers- the perspective that comes with being queer and uh, and being part of that community and seeing the world and experiencing the world that way. Um, yes. That, that, that's what I think is, and what that simultaneously seems to be doing is saying, okay, it, it's not only just the fact that the normal heteronormative, <laughs> so that's a, that's a word people like to throw around. It's getting political now too. So I just want to qualify. It's like, keep using this, it. We love it. The norm of being straight is people might look at it and go, yeah, we just need to learn to accept people who are different. When you paint this picture of everything we've been talking about, you're saying you're, you're offering a unique perspective and saying, it's not only just like, allow me to exist. You're saying I have Mm -hmm. an interesting insight and a different perspective from where I sit as does everyone right. else. What, what do you mean? That's kind of what I'm pieced together through yeah. this whole conversation. What do you, what do you want to add to that? I'm glad you've picked that up. And I, I feel like I've not even got, gotten into that part yet. So I'm glad you've already picked that up. Um, I, I'd actually like to go and talk about that point very yeah. directly. Um, so, okay. My, my way. So when it comes to the matter, let's just, I'm, I, I like to just put all the cards on the table. When it comes to the matter of gay marriage or, any, any other controversial matter pertaining to sexuality, I think that what we all need to do is collectively, as a church, as a society, whatever, take a breath of, take a breath of air and release 
there is never going to come a time where we're all going to have the same belief. There's never going to be a time where we have a consensus. What are we going to do about that? Uh-huh. If Kant, if what, if the, if the narrative that Kant, if the ontological narrative, the being narrative the, uh, that, that, that Kant has sketched out for us is true, namely that, um, all of us are constantly engaged in using our reasoning faculties, but we're still not, we're still not getting on the same page. Where does the hope lie? What, what are we going to do in that situation? To say it another way, we keep trying to rationalize and say, and this happens on both sides. One side, it happens with one side more than the other. I would say that happens with the conservative side more than the liberal, the progressive side. Um, but both sides do this. If you disagree with me, it's because you're trying to be a bigot. If you disagree with me, it's because you're trying to be unbiblical. That's true sometimes. It is not always the truth. Again, because we are humans, there are simply going to be limitations to what we can know and how we can know what we can know. There's going to be a limitation to what things are I'm able to intellectually grasp a hold of. And there are going to be limitations to which I can even assess those things that I'm able to grasp, that I'm able to grasp, we're limited. What are we going to do when it comes to the fact that in the church, the consent, there will not be a consensus on gay marriage, more or less, because there, there's never been a consensus on anything. And as much as creeds want to try to tell us there has been a consensus, the majority of the churches believe the majority, there has never been a time in Christianity where we have all agreed on anything except that Christ is our head and our leader. That's pretty much it. And that he died and so forth. And he provides salvation for us. Beyond that, what more have we has really bound us together all at the same time? Nothing. But anyways, we can get into an argument about that later. Um, but I guess I want to get people, I want to drive people to kind of this despairing moment of, oh my God, like we're never ever going to get past this. If we keep trying to rationalize through this, we're not going to accomplish what we're going to accomplish. The liberals can yell until they're blue in the face of the conservatives for being bigots. The conservatives can yell until they're red in the face at the, at the liberals for being unbiblical. You're not making any progress. Where does the hope actually lie? So I would, I would suggest that we, like, um, that we adopt a posture, firstly, of just being willing to trust each other. You have to be willing to trust that other people are coming to the conversation, again, using the same faculties as you are, wanting to get to the same good life that you are, Sure, we're going to disagree, and it's going to be painful. That's part of being in society with other people. Now, to speak more specifically to the matter of um, of sexuality, I think that there are some things that it would be helpful for us to to accept and to be um, to become aware of and to begin to critique. Um, about how we have thought about our what we are as humans, um, I think that we've been given a very hyper. We have a very hypersexual, at least in the West, we have American West. I don't know what it's like in Australia, but I know I can speak for the Amer American culture. We're incredibly hypersexualized in how we think of each other. Um, you'll hear often people say that we're sexual beings. Hello, asexual people exist. <laughs> um, so why are they not human? To be human cannot be to be sexual because not everyone is sexual. So we need to get to something that's more foundational. And I believe that that's, um, my, you might, um, I was reading something in the American Psychological Association um, Encyclopedia, 
can't remember if that's what it was. And they describe um, that the thing that's actually most foundational to what we are as humans is this thing called relationality. We're constantly relating to other things in the world. Um, and if you so happen to have a sexual experience, okay. If you don't, okay. But I think we need to get back to treating people just as people with whom we can relate um, because I think that would open the door for a lot of straight people, a lot of Christians, especially on the conservative, more on the, on more of the conservative side of things to be open to the things that queerness brings in, even if there are things that the conservative, that the the traditional biblical sex ethic would have problem with. What do I mean by that? Let me rephrase that. Once we accept that we are not sexual beings, again, asexual people exist, and that we accept that we are rather relational beings who can relate with each other in a host of ways. I can relate with my mom. I'm not going to relate with my mom in a sexual way. So, or my sis, or my sister, or my friends. But I'm still relating with them. So what? What is that? That's just me relating with people. So first, we need to deconstruct this way of looking at people. Like, oh, he's a homosexual. He's a bisexual. He's a heterosexual. True, according to a certain category, because now these categories exist it becomes rather impossible for us to undo the category's power. <laughs> Again, we, we create the category, but the category recreates us. It's, it's absolutely amazing how categories work. So the moment that you have, and that's why, it, that's why you can't look back and say people in the Bible or people in this period were homosexual or heterosexual. They weren't. They just lived and operated and they conceived of themselves according to the categories they did have. But for us to look back and say that they were homosexual or heterosexual is an, is an unfair anachronism. Um, so we need to first start off with the fact that we're just relational beings. Okay, moving over to the matter of queerness then. Um, and I'll just, I'll just use homosexuality because it's, it's much simpler than, I, I'm no, by no means an expert in transsexuality and I'm not even going to try. Um, <laughs> I know my lane. <laughs> um, the, the, the side of the church that maintains a traditional biblical sex ethic has to recognize there are other things that are a part of the queer experience, the gay experience that are non-sexual in nature, but are nonetheless part and parcel of our sexualities. In other words, those people who can be classified most nearly as being homosexual or gay tend to have what um, David M. Halperin in his um, how, to, um, how to Be Gay explains that gay people have a gay subjectivity, that we as a demographic of people who have been bounded by this category, we have a certain, we have certain shared subjective experiences of the world that cannot be relate cannot be reduced down to simply our sexual desires. So he explains that gayness is just as much cultural orientation as it is sexual orientation. In other words, there are sure as part of our homosexuality or, or gay yeah homosexuality. Yes, it is the fact that we are sexually attracted to people of the same sex. 
but there are also non-sexual aspects of our sexuality that are part and parcel. They're, they're, they, they, they do this. Um, which is why, for instance, the stereotype is, and there's a little bit of truth to every stereotype, but whatever. The stereotype is that all the fashion designers are what? Gay men. Or if you see it, if you hear a man um, talking with a lisp, you're going to assume whether it's true or not is irrelevant to, um, to a certain extent. You're going to assume he's gay. If you see a woman um, um, who's dressed on a little bit more on the butch side of things, you might assume she's lesbian. Why? Because there are certain cultural um, certain cultural artifacts that are part of homosexuality that are just as much part of our sexuality as the sexual aspects. What does that mean for what is what is what are the implications for that? Well, when when straight people, straight Christians in particular, say that homosexuality is a sin. Okay. Again, because because I believe all people are using their rational faculties to the best of their ability. I've already entered into the conversation with that trust. I'm already believe I'm trying to come to the conversation believing you're not trying to be a bigot, even though there might be some underlying bigotry. And I'm entering into this conversation believing that you're not trying to be unbiblical. Okay. You're still saying this thing that I believe is wrong. What do I do with that? Okay, you're saying homosexuality is a sin. Why? You disbelieve that you don't believe that gay marriage and gay sex are okay. Okay. Let's push that aside because unless you have a purely hypersexualized view of homosexuality, that's just one part of our sexuality. What about the other night? Let's say there's a hundred things that can be said about homosexuality. You're talking about this one aspect. What about all the other 99 things that you can't have a problem with? Um, and so it's once straight people recognize, you know, even if you do, you know, we can have a conversation about it. Even if you do have a problem with gay marriage, okay, let's set that, let's set that aside for a second. What about the rest of our sexual experience? Are you willing to say that all of our sex, all, all of our, um, our relational experience is messed up because of this one thing that you disagree with? And then let's flip the tables. Let's actually deconstruct straightness. That's something that straight people don't like to talk about. Let's talk about all the inherent. This is this is a, I need to do a sermon on this. Um, let's talk about all the inherent, and, and, I, and I truly mean inherent toxic qualities to this social phenomenon called straightness, the toxic masculinity, the oppression of women's bodies, um, the, the inability for straight men, especially in the West, to show affection between each other, um, these unhealthy conceptions of gender roles. You don't find those things in the queer community or not to the same extent or not in the same way. You'll find, for instance, <clears throat> a greater sense of gender fluidity, a, a greater sense of you know, I'm not just this this macho guy walking around like, hey, bro, what up? You know, I, I can be effeminate in, in a certain kinds of ways. I can tap into my effeminate side. I can be sensitive. I don't have to go around being indifferent toward the beauty in the world. Or, um, uh, for instance, uh, the gender roles, the sense of these, these some, some of the ways that we do gender roles. And this is like, these things are like, what are we, in, what are we in first century Palestine? I thought we were somehow progressed. In certain ways, we've gone backward. Um, or... Or, 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 or the, uh, or the, the, there's just so many, there's just so many things that I, I wish that straight people would actually become reflective on the thing, this thing called straightness that they're so willing to tie themselves to, but they have a problem with us tying ourselves to our sexuality. 
You see, there's, there's a great hypocrisy here. Let me say that again. You have this thing called straightness. You have this thing called queerness. Straight people look at this thing called uh, gayness, let me say gayness rather, and because they don't agree with one aspect of it, they destroy the entire thing. Even though there are things about gayness that that one thing being barred aside would actually be a necessary queering to some of the straight talk, the straight, the, excuse me, the toxic qualities in straightness. And there's this thing called straightness over here. Not everything is bad about it. There's some beautiful things that come out of it. For instance, you got a man and a woman, baby, beautiful, awesome, cool. But what about all the other toxic qualities where, um, again, the toxic masculinity, um, the, the, um, the, unhealthy, the unhealthy gender roles or whatever it might be. It's, it's like we're willing to destroy queerness. We're willing to throw it out, throw the baby out with the bathwater from a certain perspective, but not do the same, not bring straightness under the same kind of scrutiny. And I think hmm. all of it in a large way stems from a hypersexualized view that we have of human nature. We are not sexual beings by nature. We are relational beings, um, especially when you consider when we go to heaven, if the word of God is to be taken seriously for what it says face value, no one's going to be having sex in heaven. So what are we going to be in heaven? Are we not going to be human anymore? No, we're going to be human. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, you're offering. No, I, I like I like what, what everything you linked there. Because you're offering, as you're discussing these issues, what I find fascinating is you're saying, here's the issue everyone debates, you know, gay, straight, what's the Bible say, blah, blah, blah. You can get caught up in that debate. But then you always, you take a few steps back, and this is probably the philosophical side of it, and I don't know how, how friends of the show will go as we delve into the, the thinking about how we think, I guess. You're offering a few starting points. You're saying, okay, this is my starting point, and now this is a discussion. Now, remember, this is my starting point. So you're always kind of coming back to the starting yes. point because all too often we come at a conversation with a different starting point. And if I come at the conversation being like, you're just, you're just part of the gay agenda and you're just trying to make me, you're just trying to devalue my marriage. That might be. And not only that that's, I might believe that's what you're doing. I'm believing and judging that you want to destroy religion or freedom of speech or like, that's your motive. It's like hearing super bad faith politicians being like, the, I think I heard one, one politician say, like, this party wants to destroy democracy. I'm like, I didn't see that on their <laughs> policy platform. <laughs> it's like, must have skipped over that one. And so you, you keep coming back yeah. to these starting points and talking about these big, big themes. And something I've pulled out, which, you, which you've said quite well, that, that I'm thinking through here, is that it sounds like you're saying queerness, gay people, lesbian people, trans people, are a gift to straightness in the ability to hold up that mirror to some of the evidently very toxic elements, which then can be debated as to whether they're, you know, inherently part of being straight. Like you're inherently going to oppress women because like, I'm a straight guy. I know I'm going to oppress women. But part of that debate, you're saying, because there is a deviation to the norm and what's stereotypically accepted, that can stand in that that general opposition can now allow me to reflect on myself. Kind of like pe people say, we love democracy because you, oh, you need both sides of politics. You need the conservatives and you need the liberals. They balance each other out. They all provide good perspectives. And I suppose what you're saying is, like queerness is a necessary opposing force to keep 
the mm. dominant power, I suppose, in check, which is the dominant norm of straightness. Is that that's kind of like the big themes I'm hearing you you touch on here, which which once again goes further than can straightness yes. just accept gayness, and can straight people or straight religious people just accept gayness? You're saying mm-hmm. can you be open to the prophet? The, especially in the religious sense, if you're going to use the word prophet, can you be open to like the gay prophet that says, hey, here's mm-hmm. what oppression looks like here. Here's what a, a, a true egalitarian society looks like. Here's right. what um, a, diff- a less sexualized view can look like. Um, and I suppose y- mm-hmm. you'd probably say something like if gayness was the dominant norm, straightness would be that exact same force back the other way it's that necessary i suppose democratic balance yes. in that sense is that i don't know if it's gone if i've gone yes. too uh philosophical or theoretical here if, if you're still with no. me in the live chat that's actually a no that's actually uh that's actually a fantastic point i'm glad you brought that up i was about to i'm about to bring that up interject that queerness itself can become straight so there's um <laughs> There's a philosopher, um, Hegel, who, whose philosophy, part of his philosophy speaks about how the very nature of things, and I'm saying this in a, no one understands what Hegel is saying, but anyways, I'm just going to give a butchered <laughs> I've heard the explanation name. of it. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, he explains that, you know, there's this const, there's this thing going on in the, the world, the universe, whatever, where you have a thesis, you have an antithesis, those things battle it out, and there's a synthesis that comes out of it. And then or out of that arises a new thesis, a new antithesis, battles it out, a new synthesis, and then it becomes a thesis, and so on and so forth. And the, and the world is constantly evolving and changing in this kind of a way. Um, and so in a certain way, queerness can actually become straightness. And unfortunately, sometimes, sometimes, um, queerness can become, there can be, and I'm saying this as a gay person, and this is not something I would encourage straight people to say. I'm saying this as a queer person speaking to other, <laughs> speaking about queer, okay. what queer what queer culture sometimes can do, is it can shut down a conversation. Um, so the conservative side, because the conservative side, the straight straight and conservative side has the has the prevailing hand now. There's a sense in which that side is is able to kind of, you know, force the conversation in a certain way, but um, in a certain in a certain sense, and this is a thing that we have to be very careful of. Um, even on the progressive side, sometimes there can be this reaction of, you can't say this because if you say this, I'm going to get upset. And because there's enough people in society who will join up with me, we can shut this conversation down. And I think the moment you shut a conversation down, even to people you disagree with, you are dist- even if you disagree with the perspective, and even, even if there are things that you believe are inherently toxic in the conversation, because again, I believe you can learn anything. You can learn something from just about every, from anyone, or at least their perspective being in the world adds something to the conversation. I believe it becomes very detrimental to um, to operate in that kind of a way. That's when political correctness goes wrong. I believe po- political correctness has its um, its its virtues, but it be, it can become vicious if it becomes straight. Um, but you know. If if Hegel has anything yeah. to say about it, it'll just keep it'll it'll keep evolving and it'll keep being you know so it, on and so it forth. It sounds like you're talking about on and on. Sounds like you're talking about power 
corrupts and then power oppresses, I suppose, is, 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 yes. is kind of what you're talking about there. Um, so mm-hmm. I want to I want to push back on a few a few different ideas that people people might be thinking uh, as as you bring up shutting down the conversation and that's that's the cancel culture argument. Um, or I, I've heard you know many people say you can't say anything anymore. I'll just offend somebody, and then <laughs> you, you seem to be conceding on some level, going okay, I'm not for a shutting down of conversation. I think conversation is important, but then. Uh, a lot of the LGBT community and perhaps with some statistics behind them will say these conversations cause real physical harm, increase suicide rates, all these things. The safest thing to do is to shut these conversations down. What, what do you say to that? An excellent point. There's, there's no there's no, there's no, there's no easy way around this. What I will say, I, I can't, I'm not a politician. I'm not a lawmaker. All I know is if you want people to change, there are things that you can do at the institutional level. There are things you can do at the social level, religious level, etc. I think that sometimes we try to do things too blanketly uh-huh. where the way in which we try to control the conversation in one realm, we apply that to another. I don't think that necessarily works. We need to be very careful, especially when it You're comes to matters of religious between liberty. between the political, the personal, the religious. I, I, yeah. Yeah, we want, I, I don't have the wisdom there. I, I will I will admit I don't have okay. the wisdom there. I, I'm just, again, because we are all rational beings, <laughs> I think that, but you also want to protect people. And there's, you know, the pastoral side of me is like, I want to protect people. I don't want people to be exposed. But, ooh, I, I, don't, I don't really know how to, I, I yeah, there, there's, there's no way to win. If you keep having the conversation, you run the risk of hurting people. If you don't have the conversation, you run the risk of keep. Because let's say you, you shut down the conversation and there's this con- conservative group of people or this group of people who is like, the gays are going to hell. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. It, it just might have been that having that conversation at some, somewhere, maybe not every queer person is going to be a part of that conversation, but someone can have it. But if all of the conversations get shut down, that group who could have just maybe had one conversation would have been like, Oh, wow. And then that would have been the end of that. But then on the other hand, yes, to the point that you were making earlier, it could be by continuing to have this conver- have these conversations in certain ways can actually be detrimental to queer people. How do we do it? I think we need to have a nuanced perspective, but doing, but kind of having a blanket, one size fits all kind of way of approaching it, I think it's going to have the, the, the opposite effect. That's just, just, that's just me. I don't have the wisdom there. So then to the other side of the coin, you're, you're using terms like straightening devices and um, a, a straight perspective on society and the oppressions that straight people um, cause on, you know, women and power structures. As, as a straight white man, people might, I might, I might say, well, 
I can't have an opinion on anything. I can't talk about anything because I'm straight and white. I'm inherently oppressing you. Is that what you're saying? You're saying like, I, I'm an oppressor purely because of my status in society. Is, is that what you're telling me? Because you're using these words like being straightness is inherently bad. Being white is inherently bad because the, the culture which, you know, I come from has, has done his like bad things in history, but I didn't do them. And, and, and are you saying mm-hmm. I'm just inherently a, I guess, a, an oppressive figure now because, because of mm-hmm. the class to which I belong and the, and the sexual status that I belong to? Excellent question. Here's, I, I'm going to try to attempt to go off, off the top of my head with this as if I haven't been coming off the top of my head <laughs> this entire time. <laughs> yeah, <you did> well. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it's like a poopy off the top of my head, but um, so, okay. There has to be a distinction made between people and the categories. And at the same time, not there cannot be a distinction made between the categories and the people. Again, I, 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 live, I, I live in a happy place of there can be true contradictions. So happy me. People have to <laughs> um, sit and digest holding a yes and a no as an answer at the exact same time. You think it's good practice. Keep going. It is. Martin Luther is one of my favorite theologians okay he wasn't theologian technically but he's i love how he was able to sit in paradox and then sit in tension Hmm. and just be okay with that tension being there not being resolved so i i I love to dwell on that space um Hmm. so when it comes to when it comes to the matter you're white you're and you're a man can you say anything in this conversation am i inherently oppressed inherently oppressive that depends on uh, that, that that depends on a number of things and i think in large part you have to recognize you are born as a straight white man, you are born into a certain situatedness in power. You you are. I was born into a certain situatedness into a certain situation of power by being a man. I I have to even though I'm a gay, I'm a gay black person. I still do have this aspect of power that I was born into. Even though in many of the in, you know, in many ways I. I, I, I try to become reflective on, okay, how is my maleness, how am I using my maleness right now, my manness, whatever you want to call it? How am I using it right now in this conversation? Am I speaking over that woman? Am I allowing her to speak? Am I actually listening to what she's saying? Um, am I putting forward ideas that don't, about how a woman should comport herself, that don't actually take into consider? consideration how women actually are and their own experiences, etc. I think all of us in various ways can be born, some more than others, can be born into, into certain situations of power that give certain, um, certain privileges over others. And it's not that you can't bring up your voice to the conversation. And I would fight, I would fight someone on intellectually and say, I think I understand that you're frustrated, but the moment that you say that person can't be a part of the conversation, you just turned off a certain aspect. You just destroyed a certain part of the world, as it were. There is something that they are bringing to the table. There is a, let's say this bottle is between us. You can see this part of the bottle. I can see this part of the bottle. There might be certain ways in which how we're perceiving it are wrong, but you can see this part of the bottle a whole lot better than I can. And there are certain aspects of it that you aspects of it that you can see. Um, you might be able to see it in a better way that I than I can. And even there, even though I might believe that some of your perceptions about it might be incorrect, 
there's something about it that might be correct. And if I just hook, line, and sinker to say all of it's wrong, I'm limiting myself to what I could potentially know about the world. So when it comes to your situation, I think it just requires a great deal of humility and reflection, like we were talking about earlier, being willing to reflect on, okay, how are the how is my whiteness, how is my straightness, how is my maleness affecting, causing me to perceive this situation in front of me, perceive this person, interact with this person in, before me? Um, once you become reflective on that, you're able to bracket those things. You become increasingly able to, through practice, able to bracket those things off to better, um, more humbly engage in, in the conversation that's being had. So it's not that white people, men, straight people cannot contribute to the conversation, but it's like you have a lot of reflection that needs to be done before you can contribute, before you can provide the kind of helpful um, informing in the conversation that, that we need. Um, that's that's, how, that that's at least how I would explain it. Is that because you're saying, okay, there's a, there's a certain level of reflection that I might have to go through. Is that because the position of which I occupy in society has not forced the reflection upon me because I fit in so well? Is that kind of you what you're saying? Well. You're saying, yeah. so if, if, you're, if you're growing up gay within a church, you have to every day reflect on your sexuality and how it is different from everybody else's, whereas I have mm -hmm. never had to do that. So when I'm entering a conversation about this, I might go mm -hmm. in half cocked or a bit ignorant on certain something because I have not had the opportunity to re reflect that perhaps someone who is directly experienced certain types of discrimination has. Is that is that kind of what you're saying? I would say that's exactly that's that's how I would explain it. Yes, perfectly put. <laughs> we 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 have to be become reflective, but everyone needs to have a seat at the table. Last one, um, I, in, in one of your YouTube videos, uh, and I think it, it was the one where you, you're talking about yourself and your journey, um, and we are currently pushing through a series on sexuality at the moment and a few different friends of the show coming on talking about purity culture, Christian purity culture, the impacts on that on women. Um, you, you, said, you said at the very beginning, um, my name is Paul, I'm gay and I'm celibate. My question is, why is celibate important to include in that, is it mm. is it paying homage to some kind of purity culture still that you might be a part of or a proponent of, especially being Christian? Those things often go hand in hand. Mm. Purity culture, if I define it as like no sex before marriage, only like one sexual partner, um, the that kind of loose definition of purity culture. Right. Yeah. Excellent question. So, and you know, since I've done that video in the last, I guess it's been... Mm going heading toward a year at least, I've actually become less inclined to include that because for, for, for a variety of reasons. Um, so, okay. Wow. Well, Got to step back and actually have this part of the conversation now. Okay. So <laughs> in the, I just realized oh, we never really covered this. So like, let's step back and let's have this conversation. So, and I want to, and I want to say this with a great, I want to say this in light or remind people in light of everything we've talked about um, up until now about how everyone's coming to a conver into conversations 
using the same reasoning faculties, um, we have to be willing to listen to people we disagree with on, on all sides on this matter. Um, so when it comes to the matter of gay marriage, for instance, there are two major sides. Um, there's the side A side, which maintains a more progressive biblical sex ethic that does allow for gay marriage, gay sex, etc. Um, and then there's on the other side of things, the side B perspective, which maintains that the traditional biblical sex ethic that sex and marriage are only supposed to be between one man and one woman. Um, I tend to fall on more of the side B side of things. Now, as a person who recognizes that I can be wrong about things, I don't mind saying that I could be wrong. And if God wants to convict me, please do. <laughs> um, or, you know, whatever. I might one day change my mind. I don't know. I, you know, I don't, I don't, I've actually tried to get away from qualifying my gayness because I'm just gay. Whether I'm celibate or not, and the reasons for that are, should actually be rather irrelevant, but I've, I've, and that's a, that's a perspective over the last like, few months that I've actually come to. It's kind of like, I don't need to qualify. I'm gay. I'm gay in the way that I am. If it changes the way it is, if it changes from that, it changes. If it doesn't, whatever. My Only God is my judge. Um, so I think that's actually a really good question. Is that like, is that a statement of like, oh, I'm currently just a single guy and, you know, maybe one day I'll get married. Or is that a statement that's saying, I don't think, I'm allowed to get married religiously, which, which one right. is it? It would be more, it would be more along the, the second of the two. So uh, again, uh, coming from more of a side B perspective that marriage is only supposed to be between one man and one woman. Um, so that's where, that's the side I tend to be on. Um, again, things could shift. I'm not one person who necessarily needs to tack myself down in one side of the conversation, one side or another. This is where I happen to be right now. If I feel convicted or that I am at leisure to change that opinion, then I will. If I don't, then I won't. But what I will continue to do is advocate for LGBT people, whether side A or side B in the church. Because I, I think, and this is actually, a lot of people will ask me, um, I get this question a lot. And I actually tell people I don't like to, I don't actually like to talk about it terribly much because it brings the conversation right back. It snaps right back to theology or to the sexual the sexualizing of ourselves. Um, it's like, it is an important, obviously it's an important topic in this conversation. Duh. It's the thing that generated the conversation in the first place, but it's also, it's not the only thing that needs to be said here. And so I tend to not really even emphasize it very much. If someone asks me, uh, I'm more than willing to explain it, but I'm very quick to qualify, um, to qualify, to qualify as I did. Um, I think, there are a lot more important matters that we need to address. Like, for instance, how are we going to include um, side A and, and side B queer people in the church? Um, most churches have and have ecclesiastical or church practices that bar LGBT people from participating in church life. And, you know, I don't have all the answers here. I'm not going to pretend like I do. But it's unfortunate to me that in, in, in a lot of ways, we don't allow for, again, the journey. We're so, we, we, we're, we're, we're so, the church is so adamant. Gay people need to come to a, need to come to a traditional biblical sex ethic, get to it, get to it, get to it, or you can't be part of us. And I was like, wait a second, what happened to the journey part of Christianity? What, <laughs> it's like, so you're telling you're telling me 
that the only way that someone can be a part of the community of Christ is if they epistemically are convinced of every single proposition of truth that you've come to. So basically, they need to be of the same mind, of the same epistemic epistemic state that you are in order for their salvation to be secure and in order for them to be worthy of being in community with you. I know there's a lot of people who disagree with me on it, but I just radically disagree with that. That's just me. There's two, there's, I I suppose there's two elements that I want to kind of pull out to see where you sit on it. There's, there's the one liberal element that, that says, I like maybe liberal Christian might go, Oh yeah, maybe progressive. You're all, you're all welcome here. And, and, so they'd say, yeah, everyone's going to be different and we all need to journey. But then there's the underlying unspoken, but you will eventually see the Bible how I see it. Or are you mm-hmm. saying, and you kind of alluded to this before, you kind of said, I might change on this, but right now I'm here. Are you at this moment mm-hmm. saying, I'm actually not sure whether there can be a God ordained male, male, female, female sexual union um, at the moment, I don't think there can be, but I'm unsure and we're all on a journey to discovering it. Which side do you kind of sit on? Because on the surface, oh, they I sound see. the same. As you're saying. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Oh, gosh, that is such an excellent question. <laughs> I've, talked to my, I've talked with my mom about this and several other people so many times about this. Again, for a person who doesn't... I love contradictions. I can sit in contradictions. It's not... It's, it's not clear but it's not unclear <laughs> i i i honestly i really i i really and i'm not even trying to i'm not trying to straddle offense it really sometimes is not clear to me i must i'm just gonna tell you straight up even as a person who i, I heard one side b person the other day who was who had it who um another gay christian who is side d or he describes himself as site be adjacent. He described himself as site be adjacent because he's like, side be I tend adjacent. to be on this side. That's going to be like, adjacent. Kind of like <laughs> that's not a square. I don't it could know. be a tri- triangle. Side <laughs> B, it's the hypotenuse. It's the hypotenuse. Okay, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> ah, yes. But it's, um, it, it, it's very, for, per, for a person such as myself who is prone towards seeing the virtue in other arguments, it can be very easy to slip into a sort a sort of agnosticism about things. And I err on the side and I tend to err on the side. Well, this is the one I've been doing for so long. And unless I feel some, unless I come to a place where I feel utterly at liberty, I might not do it. Or if I come to a place where it's kind of like, I don't feel compelled it's wrong. So I can't say it is wrong. Therefore I should be free to, I, I, I don't know. The, the question is, is, is we had, um, and Adventist as well. Um, two friends of the show, grew up gay, went through perhaps in some ways a similar journey, similar church, and are now married, but still they identify as conservative Christian. When you look at them, mm. which might have that mm. one doctrinal progressiveness within it, that's like, yep, gay marriage is totally fine. Bible wasn't talking about gay marriage. Like kind of almost what you're saying is these mm. categories didn't exist. So when people use that scripture mm-hmm. of Paul talking about homosexuality, though that's a retrospective category that didn't exist now. This is a relatively new phenomenon. So then they might use some of what you've said to go, yep, and totally okay with being gay and married yes. and in the church. Yeah. When you look at them, how do you see them? Do you go, mm, you're wrong? Do you go, mm, I'm not sure how you get there, but uh, I'm here and that's okay? How do, you, how do you look at them? Yeah, that's a great question. 
firstly, I affirm our Christianity. <laughs> uh, that's the first step. Um, secondly, in that, for that particular instance, I would say that's right. That's reasonable. That's rational. I don't know if I necessarily agree. I don't disagree. I don't agree. <laughs> okay. Yep. Okay. I. It's it's yep. a, it's a bit of a, it is a bit of a frustrating thing. Um, yeah. Which is people, why you know people from, my won't like it that, because they want hard and fast. Uh, they want hard they and do, fast and I, I and, and that's 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 a thing that I I settled. I settled on doing during undergrad. I just don't do that anymore. Um, I just, as part of my own, my personal maturing, I'm not saying everyone's going to do what I do, but as part of my, part of my personal maturing, I got out of, my favorite word is nuance. And back then it was just like, I love things being black and white, but I just, I, I really love nuance and being able to see, oh, I can see how you got there. I don't know if I agree with it or not, but I can see how you got there. And I think it's reasonable that you got there. I think it's, I think that you were rational in how you landed there, whether or not I get there or not, I can still affirm that you were rational in how you got there. That, that particular um, couple that you were, that you were talking about when they were able to go all the way there, I might not ever get to that place. I'm not really looking to get to any place. As a matter of fact, I'm content with where I am. Um, but the way I sense that my sense is that if my theology were to change on gay marriage, it would be more of a matter of I'm agnostic about this. And I think I don't, that to be completely honest, and maybe there's a lot of side B people who are like, Oh my God, what is he saying right now? And I'm sorry, if you guys want to kick me out, that's cool. Um, but um, <laughs> I've been kicked out of my church, so I, I don't really care. Um, but it's kind of, I think I would, I, I think it would just me be getting, be me getting to a place of, I can't make heads or tails on this. I'm going to err on the side that appears to be gracious. I don't sense any revelation from God. The, the tradition of, of the church doesn't have, hold much authority for me. The, the scripture seems to be a little, I can see how it can be taken both ways. So why would I err on this side and not on this one? There's, there's so many different ways to go about it, which is why, again, to get back to the way my starting place is we need to recognize that whether you are conservative or progressive on this matter, everyone is using their reasoning faculties. So when people come to a decision, we don't need to jump to the conclusion. Oh, you're, I've had a lot of people tell me, oh, well, the reason you do that is because you're trying to impress straight people. And I said, sweetie, I am not trying to impress straight people. Believe me, I'm not. <laughs> I'm impressed. Though, I could so. not care less. Well, you're doing well. I am so proud of my, I, I am so proud to be gay. I'm, I'm truly proud to be gay. <laughs> um, but at, at any rate, and then some people will say, you know, mm. kind like kind of say like, um, <clears throat> I'm just repressed or that given time, I will come to this mm. other perspective, but that They'll is the same way that conservative people think about it. A sense of ho- homophobia. Like homophobia. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So again, it's, it's them believing that you can't be using your reasoning. You can't be reasonable because if you were being reasonable, uh, you would come to this perspective. So conservatives and progressives do the very same kinds of things when it comes to this conversation. What's going to be the thing that actually breaks the tie? Trust and belief and faith and dialoguing. This is why we can't shut the dialogue down. That's the only way people are going to journey. And again, the end is not the goal. The goal is walking with Christ on a journey together 
we're going to disagree. We've always disagreed. That's the human condition. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just want people to chill out. Um, stop, stop blocking. Stop. Bo- let's stop boxing ourselves in in such narrow such narrow constraints. Let's be imaginative instead of saying, instead of going on the offense on the defensive of you know when I when I disagree with someone, what can I do to proactively engage that person and say, okay, what can I affirm what you're saying? Oh my God, what would that do for our conversations when it comes to this matter? If if a conservative were willing to come to the conversation and say, okay, there's this one thing I have, but. I'm being, you know, Paul's telling me there's something else I can learn from you. What are those things? And, you know, your perspective can change. A liberal, a a progressive person can come to a conservative person saying, okay, I hear you're saying that my marriage is not God, is not what God designed. That hurts and understandably so, but what can, what can I learn from you? Oh, you see the beauty in male and female marriage. Even if I don't agree, that's the only way that marriage is to be experienced. I can still... I can still celebrate the fact that you find that kind of marriage beautiful for itself. Because an extension of the argument that you've kind of put forth could be that there is a special insight that can be found in the marriage of two men or two women that a marriage between a male and a woman could learn from and almost... Um, benefit from having around in society and within the church? I would say so. In a lot of ways, yes, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. I, I think um, I've, 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 we've, been, we've been talking for, for a long time. I do want to do let you go. I've just I've, I've enjoyed this, this conversation a lot. Um, it's, it's kind of gone from a lot of different uh, topics from, what, from one to the other. Um, I think a lot of people might really, I feel like a lot of people, no matter where they sit, will be very challenged by many of the different ideas or maybe just mostly challenged by the fact that you won't give a definitive yes and no. People really, they want those boxes. And I think you've been given the perfect illustration of what it looks like to really sit with, wrestle, sit with and digest these ideas. Because a lot of disagreements are disagreements over emphasis. And what I've noticed you really doing is always highlighting your emphasis, coming back to these ideas of, okay, if human beings are sexual or are they relational, this is the lens through which I've decided is a very helpful way of going, what, what is humanity? Well, if it's relational based on these things, that's going to lead me to these conclusions. And so I think mm-hmm. you, you've, you've laid out a, a, an interesting map of ideas for people to follow and sit with along the journey and going, okay, do I think of this as more of a sexual thing or am I thinking it, how does thinking about it relationally change the conversation? Cause I think, uh, it, it just shows nuances essentially, essentially the way mm-hmm. it is there. Is there anything you, you might want to finally add to, to sum up or, 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 or finish on? Yeah, I guess the, I guess the final thing I would say is be willing to be wrong. You cannot, you will never be able to be right until you're willing to be wrong. Oh, or maybe said a different way. Unless you are willing to be wrong about everything, you can't begin to be right about anything. I absolutely believe that. As a person who believes in absolute truth, (laughs) 
and who yeah, still oh, at the same time you've triggered a lot of people by saying that I believe in absolute <laughs> truth believe- but I don't know <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I mean this is something that like I, I was really to study in um, in my in a lot of my philosophy courses this this semester is wanting in this last well actually this especially this last semester is wanting to hold on how, how philosophers have wrestled through the centuries of holding on to especially last three, four centuries or so, um, have wrestled with holding on to absolute truth, but still have to consider how I get in the way of it. And so uh, that, that there's a tension there. Um, our, yeah. And so I, I just, I, I think that's when it comes to talking about queerness, was Jesus queer? Duh. <laughs> um, or, you know, or queerness or sexual queerness um, or queerness of any type or straightness. We have to be, if you're not willing to be wrong. And I, when I say about everything, I mean everything. And that, and that means you have to be willing to, to question everything. That's what it means to be able to, to have a healthy speculation, to have a healthy doubt, not becoming agnostic about everything, not becoming, well, I don't know. It's like, no, I mean, like, try your best. And if you feel like you can't make between heads or tails of things, okay, then cool. But try. <laughs> Don't resign yourself to not coming up with an answer. Try. But um, unless you're willing to be wrong about everything, you can't begin to be right about anything. That's just where I stand. And that is what I believe in the last five years of my walk as a Christian, that principle has made me become, has drawn me closer to Christ than all of the proposition wagging I used to do back when I was in when I was undergrad, where I was like, "This is the way this is. It's clear. And if you don't believe it, it's because you don't believe in God. You're not believing in the Word, etc." And that 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 gave me all kind of anxiety because it's like, "Why aren't you coming to this? Like, how can you not see this? It's so clear." And once I accepted, "You're human. I'm human. Only God is so perfect." That put me at peace. That was the restoration of faith for me. It, it no longer became a matter of me trying to be perfect in knowledge, but be per, but aim toward a perfection in faith in a man named Jesus Christ. So I think that's where I would say there. I, I feel like, yeah, you've definitely give a, given a lot of our listeners an example of what it might look like to be what they might call straddling the fence, maybe a bit slippery on issues, can't be pinned down, but... I think you've you've really done a, a, an excellent job of mapping that. If people want to check out maybe some of the stuff you're doing, you got a few YouTube videos up. Um, where can people find kind of what what you're up to and follow you? Yeah, um, so YouTube.com forward slash Paul Anthony Turner. That's my full name. Um, YouTube, um, and I'm on Instagram. It's just my full name again, Paul Anthony Turner. Um, I'm sure there's some periods in there thereabouts. <laughs> and then again, Paul Anthony Turner on Facebook. Um, my full name everywhere. And if you want to email me, paulanthonyturner94 at gmail.com. <laughs> oh, email right there. What, what, a, what a great guy. If you want, love to, if you email. want to chat to Paul, I love email. That's, that's where you can reach out to him there and, and maybe continue some of these <laughs> discussions. I mean, we've gone for a bloody long time. I always love it when people just want to keep chatting because I'll, I'll keep going. The only, time limit hours. Is, <laughs> the only time limit is when I need to pee and that that clock is ticking. Um, so <laughs> it's, if, if you've made it two hours into this episode, I mean, bloody hell, well done. And if you've made it two hours into this episode 
and you have been triggered and disagreeing the entire time, you are the spirit of Ideas Digest. You are, I mean, respect. And to show that respect from the show, send me a DM saying, mate, I listened to two hours of this. I, I, I think he's completely off base. He's completely wrong about this. I got so much to say. I just want to let you know I finished the episode. I will send you, I will send you a limited edition Ideas Digest gold emoji. You can spend it in any stores that accept it. Um, very, very highly coveted. You can reach out to us on Instagram. And there's some ideas to sit with and digest. And I will catch you all in the next episode.